Last week, we, uh, last week I talked about how um, you could actually step over the line. Um, I talked at one point in time about how uh, when you see things clearly and you sense God's calling you to repent, you need to really treasure that like a really precious thing because you could actually get to the point where you, you never do that again. Um, this whole notion that people have where they say, oh, I'm not going to be a Christian now, I just want to have my fun and then 10 years' time I'm going to repent then. I say, well, good luck to you, right? Let's have another decade of hardening and deceiving by sin, by disobedience to God. Good luck in 10 years of being able to repent properly, all right? And so you've actually got in uh, Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, those who are new here, we've been going through Hebrews for a while. We're up to chapter 6. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, there's a really specific statement made about uh, Esau. You know, Jacob and Esau, Esau sold his birthright for a meal. And it actually says there that Esau desired to repent. He desired to turn around and reverse what had, what had been done. But it said, but he couldn't find repentance and he sought it even with tears. So the guy was crying about it and upset about it, but he couldn't get to a place of, of true repentance. And that's a scary thing. It just tells you that God's not someone to be trifled with. But the cool thing today is, and I haven't even started yet, I'm going to pray in a minute, is that today the writer of Hebrews really transitions quite quickly. He goes from from warning to encouragement really quickly because he wants to fire people up. So today, hopefully, you'd be encouraged, all right? And you'd be filled with hope, okay? And often, you just need to know that often what happens in the Bible is the Bible puts together warnings and encouragements really, really often, all right? Because that seems to be the mechanism by which God causes people to persevere and to hope and to keep striving forward, all right? Encourage and warn, okay? So that's what we're doing today. We're doing the encouragement bit, all right? Why don't you pray with me? God, thanks so much for uh, being a God who encourages and who brings hope and who makes promises that are, de- that are dependable. We, you can bank on it. You can bank on your promises. And you keep telling us all the time, you can bank on my promises. Bank on them. Bank on them. Don't give up on them. Bank on them. I'll come through. Because you're a God that doesn't lie. You don't deceive and you don't lie. You are the truth. You don't just speak truth. You are. You speak truth because you are truth. And uh, so, God, I pray today that you would speak truth, that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be filled with hope, and that we'd go even harder this week in the things that you want us to do, not because we're feeling the pressure or we've got to work harder or be more disciplined, but because your promises are there and your encouragement is there. So, God, encourage us today. Amen. You ever heard that statement that people make sometimes, and I've made it myself, where people go, don't be like that guy, all right? You ever heard that one? Just don't be like that guy or don't be like that girl. The reason why you actually say to someone, don't be like that guy or don't be like that girl is because you're not or that person's not at that point in time, are they? But you're looking at them and you're kind of going, you could become like that girl or you could become like that guy if you keep going in that direction. And this is what the writer of Hebrews, I think, was doing last week is he's going, don't be like those guys, all right? They're not the real deal. They don't actually love me. They're not actually one of my children. They look like it, but they're not. And I don't want you, the real deal, to be like them. So uh, I'm just going to read the uh, scripture that we're going to be looking at today, Hebrews 6, verse 9 to 12. Here it is. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope 
until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you guys are not like these other guys over here. You're different to them. And he's almost kind of saying, I have great hope for you. I have great hope for you. And I think, to a large degree, I I just want to say that to people who attend the project. You're not like the people that I was talking about last week. You're different. As, as often happens in the Bible, when, uh, when, when truth comes out, truth always gets personal. It's not just about talking in the third person about people who have walked over the line of, of non-repentance. It's about coming back to the personal and coming back to the people that the writers have. Anyone got the spiritual gift? Is it? And so I want to say this to you today. This is about you. This section, I think, is about people in the project. All right, here we go. This is my attempt. I said to my wife last night, I said, I'm going to try and preach a three-point sermon. All right? Which I don't normally do. But here we go. Here's my attempt. Here's point number one. It's better. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. This is our hope in the project. We are hoping for better things. We're hoping for better things from the church as a whole, but we're hoping that there's just going to be good things. There's going to be better things. And this is what those of you who have been around for uh, the project preaching about Hebrews for a while, you know that this author is concerned with things that are better. The whole way through the letter, the author is actually telling you what's better. Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. His name is uh, better than the angels. He's, uh, he's better than death. He's better than suffering. He's better than the devil. He's better than the high priests. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than Melchizedek. He's got a better access to God. His covenant is a better covenant. Uh, his cleansing is better. The inheritance is better. And there's a better resurrection. There's great hope here. And I want to say this to, uh, to all of you. If, if you're not a Christian here today, it's better to be a Christian. Does anyone agree with me? It's better to be a Christian. It's just better. So if you want to get better, you've got to become a Christian. All right? And I'm not saying that to twist your arm or anything, but that's just the Bible says that all the time. God says it's better to be a doorkeeper in my house and just be close to my presence than to be anywhere else. The whole Bible is about what's better. Our big problem is that we go for not for what is less than better. It's better. I mean, we should, honestly, I mean, we could, hopefully, we could go around if we had the time and we could hear from everyone who's been following Christ here and they would say, let me tell you how it's better. This is how it's better. There's better things when you follow him. It's better to be saved. Amen? There's great hope, see, and... What's happened is the, uh, the writer of Hebrews has just given a very stern warning, but now he just gets really tender. Have a look at the scripture up on the, on, on the screen there. He uses the term beloved. You know, that means dearly loved. Other versions say, my dear friends. And you see, he's gone from this really strong, don't be like those guys kind of warning to, I, I really love you guys. I really love you and I want the best for you. You may remember uh, when Jesus got baptized, what did God call? God the Father called his own son? He called him beloved, didn't he? 
This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And who knows that we could do with more encouragement in the world, couldn't we? I mean, no one's come to church today just going, seriously, I just need to be discouraged, right? I've just had a, I've had a great week, all right? Everything I've touched has just turned to gold, all right? And it's just like, seriously, I just need some, I need some discouragement, all right? No one's come to church like that, right? Well, no one's put their hand up, all right? Because I'm sure there's a few of us that would be able to help out if they did put their hand up. Just go, yeah, I've got the gift of that. I often joke about the fact I've got the gift of discouragement, so the people who've got the gift of encouragement have got work to do, right? But it doesn't, it doesn't work like that, does it? I mean, the way that life works is that we need more encouragement, right? So what does the uh, writer of Hebrews say to encourage people? Well, here's, uh, here's what he says. Here's my second point. You guys are going, he's going to be done in 15 minutes, all right? Just be careful with that. There's fruit, right? He's looked at them. He's looked at the people that he's writing to and he goes, there's actually lots of good news coming out of your lives at the moment. Here's verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. These guys actually love each other and they're serving each other. And he's going, God sees you and he sees what you're doing. It's good. But how? Let's have a look at a couple of scriptures here. That might be a bit small for you. This is Hebrews 10, verse 32 to 34. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. All right? I mean, imagine that. You get home and the cops are out the front and they're actually they're just going to take your house away from you, right? And you just go, well, I'm going to need Nathan, all right? Or I'll need uh, Wayne, you know? We just need someone to come and we're going to sing a few worship songs, a few praise songs to the Lord on the front footpath while my house gets taken away. That would be weird, wouldn't it? But this is what's happening here, right? They're actually doing some good stuff. Since you knew, notice this you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They were looking forward and they knew what was coming was better than what they had and so they prepared to see their stuff taken away with joy. Here's another one in uh, Hebrews 13, verse 1 to 3. It says, uh, Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Now, we live in such a naturalistic culture that everyone thinks that what you see is all that there is. Now, that's just simply not true, all right? And I don't even have time to give you the apologetic for it. You've only got to do some research into some of the highly evidential stuff about near-death experiences to know that there's a part of humans that's just not physical, all right? So if that's true, I, I start thinking, well, who's sneaking around down here, all right? Now, Hebrews is going, there's some guys sneaking around down here, and I, I am going to call them guys because there's, there may be female angels, but none of them ever show up in the Bible, right? Just so that you know, my, one of my sons is on a mission to tell students at school that they're all male, right? And they're probably pretty tanky, okay? They're not skipping around in some nice little outfit with wings, all right? 
because a lot of the time they bring some pretty brutal judgment upon upon the world okay they bring lots of help as well but who's who's snooping around i think they're snooping around and you just go well what do they look i don't know they're somewhere i've heard enough stories enough reputable stories to know that they show up at the right times and do what god's asked them to do and they get it done all right that should fill you with hope you should be encouraged at that right remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body see is it there's a bit of a sense here that these people are actually they're getting a bunch of stuff right and they're serving each other really really well this uh fellow called uh, dionysius was a uh, bishop of rome in ad 170 he said this this has been your custom from the beginning to do good in manifold ways to all the brothers and to send contributions to the many churches in every city in some places relieving the poverty of the needy and ministering to the brothers in the mines so there's a sense it's actually carried on for quite a while i'm not saying this is directly related to the hebrews but there's a sense within the christian community that they're just loving each other serving each other and taking care of each other now i'm just going to go back to uh, that scripture up the top there let's have a look at it again for god is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints. Here's, uh, there's, there's probably four things that you need to see here. Here's the first one. God's got a memory. All right? I was thinking about this yesterday and I just thought, ever heard the statement about like rugby league or some kind of sporting competition? They always say, you're only as good as your last game. You know, I, I was thinking about it and I just thought, I noticed that mechanism happening in my head. Now, I believe in the grace of God and I believe in God's forgiveness. I've got no, no issues with that at all. But, you know, I play that game in my head where I think I'm only as good as my last game or my last good deed. So if I've had a blowout, it, for me, I'm a bit of an all or nothing kind of a thinker, right? So if I've had a blowout for a whole day, it means the whole of my life's been a blowout. Does anyone here know what I'm talking about? You kind of do that? And you just, and you, it, that's pretty depressing, right because it's like you kick the cat and it's like everything else you've done it doesn't count anymore all right that's really depressing now god would have you to know today it doesn't cancel it out he has a memory and his memory isn't based upon your last good deed his memory is based upon all of the things that you've done in his name for, for everyone else and he remembers it all now the really interesting thing about this actually i'll go on second thing is this I'll, I'll give you the four first the second thing is this god's just all right this is really a little bit kind of interesting all right because for those who have been in the church long enough you kind of you probably heard enough and maybe you've heard enough from the project here you, go, oh, you, you know you're a sinner and you got and you, you are right you're a mess okay and it's pretty hard to produce anything that's absolutely perfect anyone know what i'm talking about it's, it's just like it's somehow someone's scribbled on it somewhere you've probably done it yourself you know it was a beautiful drawing and someone came on and scribbled on it but god's just here from this point here i'll explain this in a minute but just here from this point god's just he thinks it's just to reward you for the stuff that you do in his name all right god remembers god's just god sees our service to the saints that's what you see in this group sorry in this verse here and uh people's love for each other is actually based on god's name god's reputation it's really quite interesting they actually love each other 
you see, ultimately what they're actually doing is they're, they're doing it for God's reputation, for his name. And I would just ask you today, is that your motivation for serving other people? Are you doing it for God's namesake, for his reputation? You see, their, their, their love for God was actually prompting their servants, service of the saints. And because of this, they can actually be confident of getting a reward. They got obsessed about the right things. They got obsessed about God's reputation. You see, it's actually possible. We, um, we had a couple of big services a little while ago here where we had about 180 people come out. And we were getting pretty tight for space, you know. You could actually move down the front and sit down. Well, these guys might be more holy. I don't know. All right. But you could move down the front out of love for God's name. Couldn't you? Or you could move to the center. I mean, I only bring this out, not, not in a manipulative way, but I just bring it out to tell you that there can be very, very simple things that you can do out of service and love for God's name and love for other people that just bring him incredible glory. God's absolutely committed to his reputation. We actually see this in uh, Isaiah 48, verse 9 to 11. He talks about how he saved Israel. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another." This is God. God is passionately committed to his reputation in the world. Uh, so many of you probably would be familiar with the, the whole uh, concept of someone's, someone's name and their reputation and the fact that they would give their word on, on a handshake. That's all about reputation. All right? That's why I think God's, uh, God would get pretty furious about some of the carry-on that happens in churches sometimes. All right? Because the church carries his name. And if the church carries his name poorly, his name gets, ends up meaning something that it's not meant to mean. And this is, um, I mean, you see some of this transition actually happening in the, uh, the English language where people use a certain name or a certain word for a period of time and then more and more people use it and then the meaning of it kind of gets watered down and then people have to find another word to use to describe what they were talking about previously because it's kind of been corrupted. Now, God's not going to find another name. It's not like we're going to change this thing. He's, he's just going, I'm ab absolutely committed to my reputation, right? Because God's reputation is that he's just, he's strong, he's loving, he's kind, and he's fair. And so if people go around and they start singing out and calling out all the time that God's not loving and he's not strong and he's unfair, that's a big issue for him, right? Because less people are going to come to him if his name is dishonored, if his name is interpreted properly or promoted incorrectly or talked about incorrectly. I guess probably promoted is not the right word for it, but if it's talked about incorrectly, that's a core business issue for him because people are going to go, well, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to come to church? And some of you probably have invited people to come to church over the years and they just kind of go, well, why would I do that? Because my idea of what God is like and my idea of what church is like is, is very messy and I don't want to have anything to do with that. Which is really sad. God would have it that his name is proclaimed in such a way, his reputation 
is so strong and so powerful that people would actually have a positive response to hearing him talked about. And the really interesting thing that you can see in this scripture up here, and this is something else that happens in the church quite often too, I think, unfortunately, or in Christendom, I should say, is you get a separation between helping people and loving God. And so I'm not going to mention any names because I'm controversial enough, all right? But some of you would know some, uh, some institutions that started off keeping the love of God and the love of people very closely connected and they've been separated. And it's just become some kind of humanitarian thing. Now, that's not a biblical concept, generally, all right? The idea is that the love of people and the love of God's reputation and the love of God actually stay really closely connected. What you tend to find in churches is you tend to find they either go to the extreme where they love people and they disconnect love for God from it or they go to the, uh, the other extreme and they're really good apparently at loving God but they actually don't love people very much. That's probably, without going into it, that's probably would be the excess of the heritage that I come from is uh, we're going to nail down lots of really good theology and doctrine because we don't want to be like those guys, all right, who don't have any. They're really good at loving people, but we think it's more important to love God. So we're going to work out all our theology and doctrine over here and then pretty much do diddly squat to help people, all right? It's like if someone's, you know, needs an ambulance and they're lying on my doorstep, somehow they get there, yeah, we'll help them, all right? But we're not actually massively going to go out of our way to actually go and do that, all right? Which is probably, to be honest, that's probably been my tendency a little bit in the past. The other end of the spectrum is let's go out and help people. I'm going to ring the bell and we do need to look after people and God tells us to love people, but we're not going to talk to them too much about Jesus because that's just going to get really uncomfortable, all right? And you just need to know that I think that that's the predominant culture that we actually live in at the moment, all right? Everyone gets the rah-rah on about doing charitable works, all right? They love it, all right? That's culturally acceptable. What's not is bringing Christ with the help, all right? And in Hebrews, this writer's just going, you don't separate love for your brother or your sister from love for Christ and for his reputation and for his name, okay? So somehow the church has got to work out, how am I going to help people in a way that Christ is the motivating factor and Christ is kind of the end kind of goal, all right? And, and this has been, I remember doing some uh, theological studies and I had to read this book called The Mission of God by a guy called Christopher Wright, I think it was. And he just did this marvelous chapter on how the church splits those two things. And it's, it's, it's my persuasion that the church and Christians generally and myself, our tendency is, I think, to split things that are not meant to be split. All right? And we just kind of do it all the time. Well, I do it all the time. Let me say that. I feel like I do it all the time. I'm doing some studies at the moment. And uh, one of the areas I think that we split is the mind and the heart. You see, there isn't a split, all right? It's not like it's not like the heart is like a trivial pursuit little circle thing where you've got to put your little segments in it, and when you've got all your segments in it, you've got a full piece, all right? That's not the heart, all right? The mind has a, a, a component of it that is a bit like, sorry, the heart has a component of it that's like the mind, all right? It does, but it's not like mind is a chunk that you kind of put together to get the whole. And... 
this is one thing, it's just a dawning revelation on me, so it's a little bit green at the moment, but it's this dawning revelation that we've just got to be dealing with the whole person all of the time, all right? So don't, some of you be going, what is he saying that you don't help people? He's going, no, he's not saying that, right? Is he saying that you just love Jesus? No, he's not, all right? Is he saying that you just help? No, he's not. He's saying that you just do all of it all the time. All right? I remember someone saying a while ago that uh, balance is going to all extremes equally. All right? And that's, that's probably pretty close to the mark. All right? And it's like, do I need to focus on my mind in my relationship with God? Yeah. Do I prioritize that over everything else? No, I don't. All right? Even when uh, you get to uh, the fruits of the Spirit in the in the the letters in the new testament there what's really interesting about the fruits of the spirit and i'd never heard this said until i listened to a message by tim keller and i think nathan's spoken to this a little bit of the project here but he brings out the fact that it's not like because you know you got love joy peace patience all that sort of stuff right and you just go well i'm just going to work on love and it's, he goes no that's not right he said if you actually look at the way that it's written the way the spirit works is he works on love joy peace patience he does the lot at the same time all right? And so we've just got to get used to the fact that God's kind of holistically dealing with things, everything kind of at the same time. And maybe there's some things that maybe are prioritized that he's working on at different times. But growth in one necessitates that you're actually growing in all the others as well. So how does this actually work that we can actually, for the name of God, love other people? Here we go. Let's see if I got the right. Here we go. Matthew 10, 42 is a bit of a hint. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. Now, that's interesting, right? My, the cringe factor for me kind of, my hackles go up a little bit, right? Because I'm just going, oh, there's an ulterior motive here. But is this not the best ulterior motive you could ever have? All right? I love Jesus. Jesus loves them, I love them. All right? And if I, if I bring assistance to them, physical, humanitarian assistance to them, and I don't bring Christ with me, I've missed out on the most important thing. Did I just say that the other things aren't important? No, I didn't. All right? The other things are important. Do you need to meet people's needs? Yes, you do. All right? Does God call us to be the people that help other people? Yes, he does. All right, a student in one of my classes the other day, uh, we were just talking about leprosy and I showed them a bit of a video about leprosy and, and, and they asked a question. I thought it was a good question. They said, uh, why doesn't God just fix it? He's going, well, maybe the way that God wants to fix it is he wants you to go and fix it and that's you doing his work for him. That's, and that's just kind of how the Bible looks. All right, It's not like some kind of download. You know, It's like when rechargeable motor cars come in. You know, It's not like you're just going to be able to take it and plug it into the the plug and then you'll get it all charged up again right it doesn't work like that the way that god wants to get things done is he wants people who love him and love his reputation and love following him to actually help people to go out and do stuff now at some point in time the project's going to be involved in some mission stuff overseas type mission stuff right and i'm really persuaded that i don't i don't really want the project to be involved in something that's uh, humanitarian I don't think that's not what God calls us to, all right? And we sponsor a, a compassion kid, and we sponsored a compassion kid for, for years and years. 
World Vision do it, and I think, oh, that's really good. I'm not saying that what they're doing's not good, but I'm I'm putting my money where someone's going to tell them about Jesus and give them food and give them clothes. All right, that's what I'm going to do. All right, and and I'm not going to put it somewhere else. You know, so we uh, we have a certain percentage of our personal budget that we use that we give away, right? And we get all those phone calls, as I'm sure you do, saying uh, from RAC Care Flight, and I'm not saying not to give money to them, I'm just telling you what we do. They're all really good, and we all need that sort of stuff, and it's good to be uh, to be salt and light and to be helpful in our community, but if you've got a limited amount of money, from our point of view, we're just going to put our money where the two are kind of being put together. All right? I didn't say that it's wrong to do that. All right? I'm, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. Okay, you've got to make your own conviction kind of statement. I do think that it's good to actually make a contribution to the things in society um, that other people value and they treasure, all right? And in our society, and, and I, I think it's good to help people. Is it good to have a chopper that rescues people when they're in big trouble medically? Is it? It is, all right? I'm not saying don't give, all right? You don't have to repent if you got the phone call last week and you gave them 10 bucks, all right, or 20 bucks. I think it's a good thing to do because in our community, we need to be seen as people who make a contribution to our community, not as people who just feather our own nest all the time. But I am saying that I think the priority needs to be on having those two things together. And you just need to know from the project's point of view, we're going to make sure those two things are together. And uh, I would encourage you to look for ways to be really generous where both of those two things to get come together, the, the honour of God's name, his reputation, and uh, people's needs. You know, and maybe one of the responses for you is you go, well, there's people out there doing stuff that none of the Christians are doing. Excellent. That might just be a call from God. <laughs> All right? I said this to a, one of the students in my class the other day. I said, maybe God might call you to work in, uh, um, in a leper colony in India. What about that? That would be good, wouldn't it? People over there sewing up thongs because their feet, because they're so mangled, their feet don't fit in normal shoes. They need special shoes. So there's people over there give their lives to actually sewing up thongs and looking after people who can't look after themselves so much because they've got stumps on the, the ends of their arms and their feet. And they're preaching a Jesus to them and, and modeling a Jesus to them that's going to give them a totally reformed, glorified body one day. That's good. It's, see, this is not like the other stuff's bad and this is good. I'm not saying that. The other stuff's good, but this is better, all right? This is Hebrews. This is better, all right? So I'm just encouraging you, go for better, all right? Now, better might mean that you give sometimes to the other things for the name of Christ. So do that, all right? But always go for the better. Go for the better. Here's another scripture in uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 10 to 11, because the interesting thing is, this is what I mentioned before, that God says he's going to be, he's going to be uh, just and he's going to repay you for your good deeds. And I kind of go, well, that's a big problem, all right, because I don't ever pull anything out of the hat that's actually fully a good deed in and of itself. But you know what? God makes it really clear that when he saves you, he perfects you, and then he gives you his Holy Spirit to live inside of you so that you can do stuff that is really pleasing to him, all right? And if you kind of go, well, I'm still not sure anything's ever totally perfect. Well, he's going to reward you anyway. This is good. You, you get a reward even if you don't nail it. For all the perfectionists out there, the melancholy perfectionists, you just, this is for you, right? You don't even actually have to nail it. And he goes, I'm going to reward you 
for the stuff that you do in my name. And here's another one of the reasons why. Because in 1 Peter 4 verse 10 and 11 it says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, and God willing this would be me more often than not, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever puts the chairs out is one who puts the chairs out with the strength that God supplies, whatever serving it is. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Use God's strength to serve. This is the weird thing. It's like he's doing everything and then we get the reward. It's like, I mean, no one ever complains about that being unfair, do they? Everyone, oh God, he's so unfair. And you just go, yes, amen. That's what Hebrews 6 says, he's unfair all right but this is what he does he saves you you didn't deserve it he perfects you you didn't deserve that he gives you his holy spirit to live inside of you well you didn't deserve that either the spirit brings gifts so that you've got a special job that he wants you to do and he's giving you the the ability to to do it well you didn't deserve that and then he's going to reward you for doing it it's go that that's like perfect right amen isn't that perfect that's exactly what humans need so this week you can actually start racking up stuff using the strength of the Holy Spirit and God's renewal of your heart. You can actually just, just start racking up stuff that he's going to reward you for. And you already have. The last week, I'm sure all of you have done some stuff and he's, just going, he's remembered. He saw it. He remembers. You know, you did stuff probably in the last week that no one else saw out of obedience to him. And he saw it, right? And you wanted to tell everyone, probably if you're anything like me, you just go, I want to tell everyone, right? But it's kind of like, and we'll get to this in a bit, like with the Pharisees, they kind of told everyone. He says, well, I'm not going to reward you now. That's all you get. She goes, oh, that's terrible, all right? I could have got something really good and all I got is 30 seconds of fame with my mates and they're idiots anyway, all right? Well, not really, but you know what I'm saying. It's unfair, all right? That'd be interesting. Like if you went, I'm not saying that you'd do it, but just hypothetically speaking, you go to work tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, and you go, man, God is so unfair. And everyone's going, oh, hell yeah, I reckon too, <laughs> right? She's going, no, seriously, we get way better than what we deserve. And that's not in a depressing way. It's just like, that is hope-filled. Now, I'm going to go to another scripture in uh, Matthew 25. Classic scripture talking about how loving people is loving Jesus. I was hungry. This is Jesus. He gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. Excuse me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? So the point is, like, we didn't see that. We never saw you in jail. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. See, this is what First John talks about. It talks about, it's really easy to say, yeah, I love God. All right? And John, in First uh, John, he says, okay, well, let's just see if you love your brother. It's easy to say that you love God, but let's see if you love your brother. Because if you don't love your brother who you can see, you don't love God who you can't see. That's the warning in a sense. Here's the encouragement, right? Love your brother who you can see because you love Jesus. That's how it works. 
And Jesus is saying that here. You can't kind of pull those two things apart. All right? It's not like, because some people kind of say, oh, you can be a Christian without going to church. And you just go, excellent, good. Really? So you can, you can uh, or maybe they can find ways to do it, but I just kind of think, okay, well, where's your, where's your flood of opportunities to love people? Because you better be in a place where you can love people and you can serve people because if you love Jesus and your love for Jesus is healthy and right, it'll spin out into love for other people. The interesting thing about the, uh, the people that uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to is that they were doing a lot of this good stuff. But you know what he said to them? Is he goes, you guys could actually do better than what you're doing. And I'd submit this to people from the project here, right? You're doing really well. We think you're doing really well you could do better true and not in an, a, in a, in an oppressive kind of di- oh I've got, I've got to go and love people more alright because that's not going to be really lovely I'm just doing this man because Sondergeld said to do it alright because God loves him one of my boys went off at one of his brothers last night and he had to repent and say sorry said a bunch of crazy things that he shouldn't have said and I said I'm not going to have you speak like that in my house and i'll tell you why because the the brother that you just spoke against is someone that jesus loves so we need to learn how to love each other because he loves him massively you don't speak rudely about someone that jesus loves you know what you do to someone that jesus loves you serve him and you love him all right because that's what he does and if you do that you're just like him and you guys do it really well do it better do it better Amen? I mean, we don't probably, I don't know, maybe I'll end up in one jail in jail one day for my opinions, right? I, I might deserve half of it, all right? And I'd love it if you'd come and visit me. Maybe one day it ends there. Maybe one day we end up in the West, we end up getting in trouble. You see, you go and visit someone who's in jail back in the early church and you're basically identifying yourself with them and you've just put a target on your head. All right, because they're looking for these Christian people because they're trouble. All right, but here's our chance at the moment. We can be good trouble, can't we? Let's go out and be trouble and a really good one. Love people really well and love Jesus in it and just be Jesus and incarnate it. And let's just see what we can do to cause a little bit of good, righteous trouble without having to get in trouble, which is kind of the era that we live in. Amen. Here's your scripture. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I, uh, it must be a generational thing. My dad, you know that phrase, someone's a real stirrer? I mean, it just doesn't get used now. I don't know. What, what, do, you guys, what do you guys call it? You're just an idiot or a troll. There you go. That's about right too. Like, I just think, like, here's the thing. Here's, let me just mess with your head a bit, right? You could have spent five or ten minutes this morning before you came to church thinking about how you're going to mess with someone this morning in a good way. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what he's saying. It's just like, let's stir it up. Let's get it going. A Christian community ought to be like that. It ought to be people sitting around at home just thinking about, all right, what can I say that's really going to get them going? Not in an angry way, all right? But what can I say that's really going to fire them up? I mean, maybe even right now, you honestly, 
I'm probably not going to do it, but wouldn't it be interesting if I just stopped now and just said, you've got 30 seconds, all right? And you just got to go to someone else in the church and just mess with them a little bit, all right? Because they're going really well. They're like doing, in terms of serving other people and loving Jesus, they're getting like, they're 60 Ks an hour, right? And you're just going, all right, let's tweak that puppy, right? And it's a bit like Tim Allen in Home Improvement, right? How can we get this thing going faster, okay? What can get them up to 90? Can I get them up to 90 this week? See, this is what actually should be happening in the church, right? And I think it happens a bit, but we could stir people up a little bit more, couldn't we? Well, that's, honestly, that's about half of what I do when I stand up here. It's just like stirring you up, right? Some of you never come back because I do, but some of you do. We appreciate that. There was a sense for the uh, people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to that they, they were doing better at some point in time than what they are currently and what they were at that point in time and you see that in hebrews 10 34 where it says uh, you had compassion on those in prison you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property all right and so there's a sense he's saying come on just step it up step it up all right man i'm running out of t- i told you this is three point sermon this is point two i want to show you a uh, a quote here from uh, randy alcorn this guy does some sweet stuff on rewards all right here we go. I'm just going to read this. This is about financial things. What's the biggest misconception Christians have about giving? That when we give money away to a church or ministry or to help the needy, it's gone. While we hope others will benefit from it, we're quite sure we won't. We think we're divesting ourselves of money, disassociating from it. Once it leaves our hands, we imagine it has no connection to us, no future implications relevant to our lives. We couldn't be more wrong. What we think we own will rudely will be rudely taken from us, some of it before we die, and anything that's left the moment we die. But now is our window of opportunity not to divest ourselves of money, but to invest it in heaven. We don't have to have everything taken from us. We can give it before disaster or death strikes. Now is our chance to give what we can't keep to gain what we can't lose. This guy's lived it out, right? Now, this guy actually, in a non-violent way, protested in an abortion clinic and he was told to stay away from it and he didn't, all right? And I think he actually ended up going to jail for a bit and he basically got fined. He got this huge fine that he was never going to be able to pay. So he literally doesn't own anything now, right? Now, his wife owns some stuff, so they've got a house and all that sort of gear and he's, there's some kind of tiny little minimum wage that he's never allowed to get any more than because of uh, his protesting in this abortion clinic, but he's lived it out, right? He writes books, but I think he probably gives a lot of his money away or something. I'm not sure what he does with all of it. So I want to go through really quick rewards in Scripture. This is a little bit unsettling, right? Because we're kind of told if you love and there's something in it for you, then it makes love bad, right? But I'm just telling you that God encourages and inspires through rewards offering rewards all right he doesn't want people ultimately to seek the reward but he says if you seek me and you do my stuff i'm going to reward you here we go matthew 5 verse 11 and 12 blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven all right So you go out and people say, you're an idiot. What a freak for following Jesus. And you just, you should hear like the kind of the the dollars clicking up in the bank account. I don't know what the reward is, right? But you're just going, sweet, keep going. (laughs) Not that you'd be like that, but you you get my point. Jesus is saying when you get out there and people give it to you, and they did give it to him, 
mean, one of the things they used to do is they used to have these things called beast hunts, all right? In the, uh, it wasn't in the Colosseum, but in the Roman Circus, they'd get down in something about the size of a tennis court and um, they'd put Christians and bears and lions and that sort of stuff in there, right? This is, this is a pretty solemn statement by Jesus, right? But this is, this is Jesus saying, get into it. Whatever you lose will be more than compensated for. Then in Matthew 5 verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? The answer is, you don't have any. Hey, you guys are really good. I'm, I mean, in some ways you kind of go, well, that contradicts Hebrews 6, right? Because Hebrews 6 says God's going to reward someone who serves other people. A little bit different. Jesus' point here is that people are just kicking around and they're just going, I'm only going to love people that love me. And he goes, well, there's actually a really special reward for people that love people who don't love in return. So the question would be, do you want the reward? Jesus says, if you want the reward, you love people that don't love you back. That's how you do it. Matthew 6 verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Talked about that one before. What about Matthew 6 verse 6? But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right? And make a song and dance about it. Get down. I mean, I probably don't think about it enough when I sit down and do my, uh, spend my time with God in the mornings. Sometimes you go, oh man, just praying and spending time with God. It's, I know it's something I should be doing. I just, I just find it really hard to find the time. You just go, well, you just miss out on the reward. That's how it works. You don't do it. I mean, we could stand up here and go, oh, you need it, right? Because you might just kind of trip up and fall away. That sort of stuff that we are kind of talking about last week, right? That's really important to stay in the faith, to keep doing that. And God will put it in your heart to keep doing that. You need to do it. Well, you just don't get the reward. You want the reward or not? Does anyone want the reward? So turn up every day and pray. And you get the reward, right? And probably even get some reward later on. He knows that when you turn up, and you spend time with Jesus, and you connect with Jesus, and you pray, there's a reward in it right there and then. Who, who actually knows that? It, yeah, totally. All right? And even the people who do know it, but they didn't put their hand up, right? There's a reward there, right? So get the reward. It's like, you know, there's a box of chocolate. You know, and yeah, Weeks is going, yeah, now we're talking, all right? And more people have come to church, right? But isn't that weird, right? Because more people have come to church because we give them food. Ultimately, Jesus would say, well, you come to church because I've got something way better than that. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, but we need a different preacher. And maybe you would, all right? 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 14. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw... Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. So whatever you build is going to get torched with fire, right? Spiritually too. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Implication being you build with Jesus, on Jesus' foundation, you're going to be sweet. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive what? A reward, yeah. Cool. 
This is good. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance is your. So work hard at work this week. As though you're doing it for God because he will reward you for doing that. Here's the last one. Second uh, John verse 8. Watch yourselves that, you, that you're not deceived so that you may not lose what we've worked for but may win a full reward. You've got to hook into it. Time, money, effort, loving, serving, hook in because there's a reward for it. Here's point three. Finally, we got there. Pursue God's promises. This is what you actually see in Hebrews 6, verse 11 to 12. It says, And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Listen to that last little bit there, though. Faith and patience. You don't get full access to the promises unless you trust in God and you're patient. And next week, uh, Diff's going to preach on the next little section in Hebrews because the writer goes on to say a guy who's really good at this was Abraham. All right? He obviously had a pretty significant blowout with Hagar, for those who know what I'm talking about. All right? But I just said to Diff, I don't know. But outside, I just said, I wonder how many years it was between Hagar and when he uh, actually had his son to Sarah that's a while and now and then you got the whole thing because God promised Abraham God said you're going to have a whole nation you've got to wait a long time to get a whole nation don't you and like you get one son that's not a whole nation right and you've got to wait till he gets older and he's got to get married and then he's got to do what married people do and then they've got to have kids all right and then they've got to grow up and then probably you still only got 20 at best right if Isaac's wife was a healthy, strong woman, all right? You, maybe you got 20. And you see, like, even though Abraham had a bit of a blowout, you, you actually notice that the heroes of the faith in the Bible, they all had blowouts, right? So he had a blowout, and then he worked out he had to wait patiently for what God wanted to, wanted to do. And you know what? You get the right to God's promises by faith, not by being a descendant. A descendant doesn't get you God's promises. Faith gets you God's promises, all right? And the writer wants you to uh, not imitate Israel, but imitate Christ. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. run hard like jesus all right just run hard like jesus the interesting thing if you uh, look up at the verse there from rome from hebrews 6 it actually uh the word there patience toward the end of verse 12 you know it actually can be translated as long suffering what's the second half of the word long suffering a suffering so here's the thing you're probably going to have to go through some suffering to get the promises. And some of you, maybe today, and I'll just put this out there for you. You need to hang on. And you need to persevere. 
You know the stuff in the Bible. Like you don't want to, I just say to you, if you're in this place today, don't look at the Bible and just go, oh, God didn't come through. Well, yet, yet, all right? Now, don't get too narrow in the way that you want God to come through because most of the time he's coming from left field, right? So just be careful with that. But know and hang on to God's promises and hang on to it and hang on to it and say, I'm going to hang on to it. And then when I'm sick of hanging on to it, I'm going to keep hanging on to it, right? And I'm going to hang on and I'm going to keep hanging on because he promised he would look after me. He promised that he would help me. He promised that he'd never leave me or forsake me. He promised me that I could trust him and that I didn't need to be anxious about things because he promised me things. And... I don't see this promise coming about yet, but I'm going to hang on. I'm going to keep hanging on, all right? And some of you just need to hear today from me, you need to keep hanging on, all right? And don't give up and don't call God's character into question and say he's not going to do what he said. He will do what he said, all right? He will do what he says right now. He will keep doing what he says because that's what he does, right? He does what he says. So don't give up and just keep pursuing him for his promises and the fulfillment of it. And you see this in, uh, in Psalms often, uh, the, the psalmist will actually write things, he say, you said that you'd do this, right? And he's not saying that in a rude kind of judgmental way over God, he's just calling to mind God's promise and calling God's promise to God's mind. Not that God had even forgotten it, but he's just going, there's a promise here and I'm hanging on to this promise. See, faith is a steadfast persistence that pursues the divine promise. See, God promises, if we go right back to where we started, God promises that it will be different and better for you. And it will be. Even if it, everything goes to hell for you, it will be better. That's what he promises. Your life could get massively messy. And he says, it's going to be better for you because it's always better for my children. Always. And you go, well, no, it's not. I'm in the middle of something that's not very nice. Absolutely, right? And there's some really messy psalms where the psalmist is going, I don't see my way out of this. I'm stuck in a fog. This is messy. I don't know what the heck God's doing. I need him to come and help me right now. All right? And God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It will be better. It will be better. If everyone in this whole room went home this afternoon and everyone lost all of their money, everyone, you lost all your property, God would say to you, it will be better for you to stay with me. And here's the problem. Stuff happens to us and we go, it's better to go somewhere else. It's better to trust in my bank account. And God says, it's not better. It's not better. Just get it into your head. It's not better. Stay with him. It's better. It will always be better. And you go, well, some of my life's not better yet. It's going to be better. All right? Just not in your categories. We've just got a really narrow view of what's better. And then we get frustrated with God because he doesn't do what we think's better. He's always doing what's better. It's, it's like, like smile. Can you smile? He's doing better, right? You should smile about it. Even if it's terrible. There's going to be better because it's always better. But you know what? There's probably going to have to be some suffering, some patient suffering of hanging on to God's promises through dark days because God's promises need to be received. They need to be proved and they need to be inherited. You see that? They need to be inherited and you're just going to have to hang in there. 
there is great encouragement for us here at the project and I'm finishing up you see the leaders of the project we long for you to become more and more a church where the saints in this church serve each other amen more and more where we care for each other where we help each other where we encourage each other sometimes where we endure each other true where we restore each other but you know what we also desire to be a very god-centered church we want to be a church where everything is done out of love for the name of christ amen that he fuels it that he injects his energy inside of it and he just gets glory not just from the helper but from the helpee you see what this text is actually saying that we've looked at today is that there is this is this is kind of the secret of the great blessing all right it's it's the it's to encourage us that when you serve keep on serving when you give keep on giving whether it be money or time even if it's small and insignificant and no one else knows about it everyone doesn't have to hear your story you know what because god knows all of your story and you might do something you go well this is a really big thing for me and i just would like everyone to know that it's a big thing for me right but god knows that it's a big thing for you right he's given you his holy spirit and he's going to reward you he's not unjust and he's not blind he sees it and he knows it god will never ever forget every single note that you write to someone else in this church he sees it right every reply or comment that you put of encouragement on facebook or the city or something it's just he sees it every visit you see just to hear from me honestly i think about my life i think about divesting all the time i just go well if i give that time there though it's just gone it's not gone it's not gone it's investing every gift that you give right every late night conversation that you have every single time that you turn the other cheek when someone gives you a hard time every time that one of your children gets really upset with you and gets really angry with you and you give them a soft answer soft answer turns away wrath doesn't it every single time that happens god watches you and he says i'm going to be just and i'm going to reward every kindness that you've shown that never got repaid see maybe some of you just kind of go yeah well i had him over for dinner where's the returning bite does anyone know what i'm talking about i gave him man i i gave him that block of chocolate they did nothing for me that's divesting isn't it that's divesting that's like and jesus would go oh now you're in reward territory all right prior to that like if you're in this like you got this secret tally going on in your head and you just kind of go i invite you over you invite me over and then we're all square right jesus goes that's right you're all square you don't get anything else that's all you get all right but you invite people over and you go i reckon you know maybe you sit down with your wife and or your husband and you just kind of go yeah he's the kind of guy i reckon i reckon we invite them over we're never getting anything out of them and jesus would go oh now see now you're thinking like him right that's kind of how it works right and with your kids you know sometimes you guys still on the receiving end of this probably but sometimes for parents you just you ever say stuff like this you go after all i do for you 
you give me this. You guys ever had that said to you? Yeah, look at them, they're all nodding. What's that? That's really saying, I need to get a reward from you. If I serve you, I need a reward from you. And Jesus says, no, you don't. I'll give you a reward. And it'll be better than the 10 seconds of respect that you get from one of your children. Well, I'm not saying you're disrespectful all the time. Don't hear that. But you know in those intense moments you just where there's conflict and that kind of stuff in the household and you just go, well, I want respect. And somehow they're able to squeeze out some kind of line. Oh, I'm sorry, mummy. You know, with their teeth clenched or something, you know. It's like 10 seconds of respect that doesn't even really count. All right, and you just go, that's it. That's all I get. That's right, because that's what you're after. You're after the reward now. All right. Now, I'm not saying it's not right for kids to apologize to their parents. I think that should happen. I think parents should apologize to kids too. All right. But here's the thing. Don't press for the reward. All right. The instant reward at that moment, in the moment, press for the reward that Jesus has got for you. True? It's better. It's better. God will not forget it. So, people... Let's love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Amen? And for the sake of his name, let's serve each other. He won't forget it. His justice guarantees that he won't forget it. This is Hebrews 6. Why don't you stand with me, eh? And I'll just pray. Just... Uh I just hope, uh, I, I felt a little bit as I've been preaching, like there's probably a couple of words that need to fall away, like uh, chaff, all right? Because um, it hasn't quite been as neat as I was as I would want it to be, right? But I just, I, I'm, I'm going to pray for you, because I just really want you to hear what God wants you to say today, all right? And if I've said something, ah, that wasn't quite right, you're probably right, okay? But hear God in, in all of this, and hear what He wants to say to you, and respond to Him, all right? You're not accountable to me. No one here is accountable to me, ultimately. You're all accountable to him, so you need to follow him. All right? Why don't you pray with me? God, you, you're so incredibly, incredibly good to us. You're, you're really unfair. Oh, well, we love it. We just love how unfair you are. And uh, we look forward to you being more unfair this week in your dealings with us. And God, thanks that you're a God who rewards, a God who promises. I pray that you'd, uh, God, for anyone here today that's going through some really tough, a tough, really tough stage in their life. God, I pray that they'd suffer well, that their suffering and their patience would, would really just take them to the place that you want them to be in. God, I... In one sense, I kind of would pray that you'd make their suffering short, but better often comes with long suffering. So God, I just pray that you'd help them, whether it be uh, parents with children that don't sleep much or kids that get sick, or whether it be with people around the place who are, are sick or... Uh, being diagnosed with diseases or maybe there's people in this room that have been diagnosed with things i pray that you'd help them to hold on and pursue you for your promises and inherit the promises 